0: And we
1: are back. Thank you so much for joining us for another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. And if you're just hearing the show for the first time, don't turn it off. You're like, what a schmuck scintillating hour in finance. It is scintillating. I think it is. And if you don't think these markets and environment are scintillating, I don't think you ever are. Right. It probably is a great sign that, uh, that it's, it's this isn't for you. You know, may you live in interesting times. Well, check that box. Anyway, like I was telling our people on the three minute intro up here on that on 770 a.m. in Seattle. This is another summer special. Don't turn it off. Don't turn it off. But this is another. This is the last of the summer special episodes where I am recording not on a Friday. This is Tuesday, the 23rd. And the reason for that is. Me and the wife that is far too wonderful and far too beautiful to be with me. She has horrible taste in spouses. And our three beautiful children, once again, that look like their mother. Thank God. I got a face for radio. I've always, I always thought that was funny. The first time I heard that, I was like, man, that's funny. Can't remember when it was. Anyway, heading to Chelan for the week. So it's our last, it's a, it's our end of the summer kind of tradition. And um and so I'm recording this show on a Tuesday. I, I I planned on doing it there. As a matter of fact, I've got a couple of interviews that I'm doing while I'm in Chelan. But they're interviews on other people's shows. I've tried to I have tried to record this show outside of the COVID bunker at Bulwark Headquarters here, and uh it just doesn't sound good. And I can't do that to you. Can't can't put that level of production out there. it's just not good. So anyway, Um, I always like this though, because we have a show that's once a week, we do the podcast thing too, but once a week for one hour, there's a lot of stuff, especially this day and age, there's a lot of stuff happening on a regular basis that we have to address. We got to go over. So this allows me to get to some things, uh, that take a little bit more of a deep dive, right? Maybe they're not quite as topical, but I do think that they're really important. Um, want to talk about going to spend at least one good segment, if not two, talking about the intersection of energy and politics, both the and and both the opportunities that that's yielding and also the dangers. Um, Also want to talk about demographics and uh, demographics is something that we haven't focused a lot on this show but i think it's something that's very 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 important and it's something that uh on the periphery if you're listening to media talking heads and you're listening to you know CNBC and 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 i i don't know if this is the right word i don't know if it's fitting but if you if you're listening to more market spectators Um, and people that really don't dig deep into the economic side of things, you're not going to hear demographics spoken about. And as a matter of fact, for many of you, uh, I have no idea what many means. This may be the first time you've heard somebody talk about demographics um, as it relates to finance and investing. And I think it's something that the world is not paying enough attention to. I also think it's something that is going to shape the investment world going forward. For I mean, it always has. Right, and and just so you know, uh, demographics is the study of the population growth of any single, um, you know, society. Right, any country out there. And why is that important? Because typically speaking, unless there are other things, you know, other things converging, when you look at a society, the birth rate and the trend of the birth rate is a very good indicator of economic growth going forward. And the reason for that is, is as a percentage of your income, people spend the most money in their household formation years, which is what we refer to as having children, having a house, buying a bigger house, getting the bigger family car, which takes more gas, which drives you use to drive the kids to more functions, which cost even more money. And then you got to buy dinner on the way home. And, and the, reason for, well, the reason it's so important is we all, we, like I said, we spend a bigger percentage of our income. On average, and it's very consistent in those years of children being from ages one to eighteen, um, and then typically right around the time children are eighteen, is a percentage of your income spending peaks as a percentage of income. So, and 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 if you look at America, um, I think it's one of the untold stories, right? You have the the inflation of the seventies that a lot of people remember and talk about. And. Um, and, the, and this kind of, you know, man, I could go down a, lo- a long path with this, um, th- this <laughs> speaking of demographics and the impact it had on the 70s, it's a classic investment moment. There are so many people out there that if you're OK, what happened in the 70s? Well, we went off the gold standard and Jimmy Carter was a moron. Um, I think moron is a disrespectful and, and, and unfair word. I happen to have a ton of respect for Jimmy Carter as a human being and as a philanthropist and as a man that I admire in terms of how he cares for still to this day people and puts his money where his mouth is, um, you know, as the lead executive of the country, probably not the best, right? Not a great track record despite his best efforts. And the fact that I think he was probably one of the most honest and transparent politicians we've had, uh, in the white house. Um, It didn't make him effective, but this may surprise some of you. I also think he catches a much more blame for the seventies than he should have. And demographics is why. And I think it's a good illustration of why it's important and why we're going to spend some time talking about it today. When did the baby boomers come of age, right? The baby boomers went into household formation years in the seventies. So you had a think of like the python swallowing the deer, right? You you had this big, the great biggest, largest generation in the history of our country moving through the system and all of a sudden they hit household formation years in the 70s and wouldn't you know it? And it makes sense if you think about it, right? Economies grow and adjust to changes over time. We all know in economics, it's not so much the um, it's not so much. You know how big something moves right it 's not it 's not you know if inflation goes up over time it doesn 't tend to be a big problem right like let 's say over the course of five years inflation goes from two to four percent you don 't want to be at four percent inflation that 's higher than than ideal but it 's not something that 's going to throw a giant wrench in the economy because it happened over time right um, that that 's what was interesting about the seventies is That's not the way the baby boom worked, right? World War II ended and boom, people are more optimistic. Guys are coming home from war. I don't need to get into the mechanics of it. I think we all understand the way the human reproduction system works. But bottom line is it wasn't gradual. It was just like, boom, overnight. You've got this, the the, the largest generation in, in the history of America was born and they start coming into their household formation years and the economy is not set up for that. It's not ready for that. So there were a lot of different things, and this is another perfect example of what I tell people about being careful about silver bullet investing. It is so odd. It is so rare when there is one singular cause. People Well, you want to know why the inflation happened? That, right? It never works that way. It's always a convergence of different forces. I wish life was that simple. And I've learned that lesson through investing time and time and time again. But anyway, demographics are one of those things we want to dig into. And I'm actually working on putting together a couple interviews right now where we dig into demographics in, in deeper details, because I think it is one of those things that gets ignored. I also think it is one of those things that plays a much bigger role than most people are aware. I also think it's one of those things that's been a huge advantage of, of the United States. Um, and people say, what do you mean? Our birth rate is low. And I go, yes, it is. But go compare it to other places in the world. They're like, yeah, but it's trending in the wrong direction. You go, well, if you look at, if you look at tr- the you know, traditional birth rate here in the United States, and when I say traditional, like if there was some way you could sub out people that have moved here in the last five years, for instance, and I don't know these numbers, but my suspicion is the birth rate would be significantly lower, right? Ironically, what's buoying our birth rate is immigration. And I'm just I'm just getting into a, a rat's nest all over the place right here, um, and and you know that's that's <laughs> this feeds this discussion feeds right into our first main topic that we're going to bring up, which is the intersection of politics and investing. Um, you know, this is why I've long argued is that guys, the answer is not no immigration and close the borders. the 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 answer is streamlining immigration. Making it more efficient, more accurate, keeping the bad people out, right? People that are coming here to take advantage of the system, and then fast tracking the people that come here for productive reasons. Because it's it's a huge advantage that we have over so many other countries, right? Immigration is our tradition, and we need to keep those that flow of talent. That's what built us. We just need to make sure we're doing it responsibly and and safe, right? We just need to, we just need to we need a lock a, a lock on the front door. In my opinion, I mean, I just think it's. Insane that that's debated these days. Um, another strange hallmark of where we're at, I guess. So anyway, just yeah. So Wanda really focused today. And I kind of went off there on demographics because, again, I, I do think it deserves some time. And we're going to spend a segment focusing just on demographics and as it relates as it relates to investing. But let's hit on really quick market update stuff. Um, again, it's Tuesday, so I don't have a clear view um, right now. Now, knock on wood. Uh, last week, I told you we put hedges back on. We went long volatility. So far this this week, we've seen a pretty nice pop in volatility. Our volatility, or, or excuse me, our long volatility positions are up about ten to twelve percent. I want to say so far this week, um, we hedged back up. Market was bumping up against some key indicators that I just, you know, and hey, and this is where you draw your line in the sand. I could be wrong. Uh, everybody talking about. A recovery, a new bull market. Um, I could be wrong. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. Um, I think it's a classic case. I, I made this comment last week. I think you're looking at a classic case of nothing changes sentiment like price. Right? <laughs> you get a rally, and everybody's going to try to justify why it happened. Um. Yeah, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. And uh, you know, I. I Like I've said before, do I think that we're on the precipice of some giant collapse? I know there's a lot of you out there that think that Um, I don't see it yet. Do I see the potentials? for? Yeah, I mean, I I'm not sure I've ever looked at a world where and I'm trying to think I don't want to be hyperbolic. Uh, I don't think I've ever looked at a world where the tails were so fat. Now, what do I mean by that? um again looking at a bell-shaped distribution a bell-shaped curve right um and it's something that's always fascinated me about statistics how how statistics are so accurate at modeling things um but you know if you're familiar with statistics at all you understand the shape of the bell-shaped curve and you understand that you know what is it 80% of the action happens in the in the um you know in 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 the top basically third of the bell right and then as you get out to the tails you know, if, if you were to – so I'm rambling. I'm probably confusing you guys. The whole concept of a bell-shaped curve is trying to model likely outcomes, okay? And as we all know, uh, a likely day in the market is up like 0.3%, right? Market goes up 70% of the time. Um, And so if you had a day where the market was up 0.2 or 0.3%, that would be like right smack dab in the middle of the bell-shaped distribution, right? Probably right around the peak of the bell, right in the middle. And then we've seen days in the last couple of years where markets move 10% or more, right? So if you move 10% or more to the upside, that would be an event that would be clear out on the right-hand side of that bell-shaped curve, meaning it is very, very unlikely to happen. Um, but it can, right. It is a potential outcome, but very, very unlikely on a day-to-day basis, right? If you wake up any given day, what are your chances of seeing the market move 10% one way or the other in that single session? Not very good, right? Not very good. As a matter of fact, I I don't know this, but I've got to believe there are probably less than 10 days in history where the market has moved 10% as a whole. I could be wrong. That'd be an interesting stat to look up. Um, I know that I went the first, geez, 13, 14 years of my career before I saw a double-digit single-day move, Uh, and that was in the COVID crisis. So maybe there's even less. Maybe there's less than 10. Um, I don't believe, to my recollection, and I was managing a portfolio during the financial crisis, I don't believe I ever saw uh, a double-digit move. I remember six, maybe even 7% moves, but anyway— But going back to that bell-shaped distribution, and when I say that I see a world with fat tails, what I mean is I see potentials for certain parts of the—I see very low percentage chances of this, um, but I I see potential things setting up to where, specifically here in the United States, U.S. stocks could go crazy, and again, I see that as a very— low likelihood so that i would consider that a way out on the right tail um and i don't think this is a base case but when you look at the world and i think the term pregnant tails is the perfect way to put it i don't think that what we are currently dealing with will result in a historic market collapse of greater than you know, 60% on the s and I, I don't think we'll get 60% down from the peak in the S&P. Is it possible? Yes. It is absolutely possible. If nothing else, just on a valuation basis. I mean, let's say over the course of the next 18 months, earnings were to drop on the S&P 20%, 30%. You know, I mean... You factor in rising interest rates, dollar, all the other stuff that we're looking at uh, on an earnings valuation basis, it wouldn't be crazy at all i again, I just don't personally think that's going to happen because I think the fed will step in could it yeah, and that's what that's what makes managing this market so tough i i i I do uh, to my knowledge i don't think anybody has ever sat there and dealt with historic inflationary pressures with potentially historic deflationary pressures occurring at the exact same time, right? Uh, Valuations where they're, I mean, it's just the outcomes right now. I think, you know, obviously it's a bell-shaped curve, but I feel like this bell-shaped curve is a much flatter than most, meaning, you know, I I don't, I don't think a 60, 70% drop is likely, but In this setup, again, geopolitically, looking at all the different pieces on the board, I I think it's more likely than normal. Um, Just because there's so many things that could go wrong. And at least here in the United States. Now, if you want to look at international stocks, uh, international markets are nowhere near as frothy. Um, And it and. To some degree, it makes sense. I'm not sure if I mentioned this on the show, but one of the things that we have to keep in mind as investors, and this is just another complication, right? I thought I mentioned this last week, but I'll I'll say it again because I think it bears repeating. Um, One of the things that makes the situation so complex, especially with U.S. markets, is dollar strength. And what I mean by that is if you're uh, you're in the Eurozone, right? You're an investor in the Eurozone or Japan, let's say. And you bought U.S. tech stocks a year ago, right? NasDAQ has pulled back, you know, 25, 30 percent since then. When you factor into currency movements into it, um, as a Japanese investor, you're still sitting on a 10 or 15 percent gain, right? Because that, that position that you bought in dollar terms might be down 20 percent, but your currency's down 30 to 35. Eurozone, 25 to 30 percent down. So you could see a I, – look, I, and I'm not saying it's happening, but we've got to keep our eyes open for things that we've never seen happen before. Because money, thanks to central banks, money has never been unlimited. You have an infinite supply of money. Thank you for the central banks. That changes dynamics in markets. So as things got worse in the world economically – which would probably continue to propel the dollar north. You could potentially see US stocks rising even as things got worse. I don't that's not my base case, but it wouldn't shock me at all. Right? Because again, are you worried about a 30% drop in US stocks when those stocks are paying you dividends in US dollars and your currency could lose fifty to sixty percent compared to the U.S. dollar. No, if 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 your currency dropped fifty or sixty percent, and you bought the S and P and lost forty, again you're ten to twenty percent ahead. Plus, you're getting that two percent yield or wherever the yield is on the S and P five hundred paid out in U.S. dollars. Right. These are things we've got to get. And this is why I said that to me is the impetus that could potentially key a right tail scenario where stocks could go ballistic and completely defy the odds. Right? And people are like, well, they're so richly valued. Well, I know. But the peak in what did the, the CAPE ratio, the, the cyclically, cyclically adjusted PE ratio that was invented by Robert Schiller, the Nobel laureate prize winner that we had on the show not too long ago, about a month and a half ago or so. When Japan hit its peak, when the Nikkei hit 39,000 in 1989, the cyclically adjusted PE ratio was over 100. Okay, Today, it's like 30 Now, I, again, I I don't, (laughs) it is not a good investment strategy to buy stocks because you think the Cape's going to a hundred, right? That's a very isolated scenario, but could it happen? Yeah. And we've, and we've seen that occur. We've seen things like that occur before. And one of the things that drove it was economic and currency strength of Japan, right? The yen was the Titan at that time, um, so anyway, so we're going to get into the political side of it, uh, going to be talking a little bit less about markets. And like I said earlier, I don't think there's a lot to do with the market update. Um, I think right now, if you've been listening to the show, we thought last week was the top or the end of a bear market rally. It That is playing out right now. I, I you know, you're not you haven't dropped back below key levels that would say we're for sure right there. Uh, But you're certainly getting that kind of action happening this week. The other thing that I wouldn't be surprised about is I think you've got a lot of people that, and that's another funny thing that's being mirrored in culture, not a lot of people down the middle. You got a big contingent of people. Oh, happy times are here again. It's a new bull rally. You got to get in there and buy them when they're cheap. Obviously, I've got several problems with that thought. (laughs) Things are not cheap. Uh, That is not my outlook. Could they be right? Sure. Then you've got those people that are like, look, we're on the edge of total collapse. Um, I think there's a good potential that you're somewhere in the middle that you could have an extraordinarily longer than a period that is extraordinarily frustrating. That is a lot longer than most people think it could be where you get sideways chop. Again, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to the 70s, the last period of significant inflation we had. What happened? And I've said it before, and I'll keep saying it. You never had the market drop more than 30% from its high over that 13-year period, period of time. But it was just a whipsaw, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Meanwhile, over that same period of time when the market essentially went nowhere, you averaged 9 to 10% inflation. So it was like a crash, right, in terms of purchasing power, when you're when you're running at nine to ten percent inflation for twelve or thirteen years, and your stock portfolio over that same time goes up a total of fifteen percent, that is a collapse. That's a crash. It's a crash in purchasing power. Nightmare. Now, what what bailed you out in the seventies? Commodity exposure. You went from having a disastrous return to or a disastrous decade if you were heavy into commodities, and you absolutely smoked it. So, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. So we'll look for that. Anyway, we'll take a quick break here. That was kind of a long rambling intro, but I want to get into the intersection of politics and investing in our next segment that I've been that I've been keying to here. And um, I think there's some really important things we need to pay attention to. As always, give us a call. 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Stick with with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com.
0: This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to KnowYourRiskRadio.com.
2: Hey, it's Dori Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser focused on risk management.
1: What is the biggest risk right now? ironically bonds. Really? Why? Because of all this money printing and the fact that we're still at zero interest rates, it's likely to create some serious inflation and inflation crushes bonds. If your portfolio has a significant portion in bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy now. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy that shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still seek market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost.
2: Call now for your free copy of zach's new version of common sense investing learn about bulwark's bond replacement strategy 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement bulwark capital management is an investment advisor representative of trek financial llc and sec registered investment advisor
0: you're listening to know your risk radio with zach abraham chief investment officer at bulwark capital management
1: And we are back. Okay, thank you for sticking with us. All right, so let's dig into this a little bit because, like I said to you, I think that this is a very important part of what we need to be paying attention to as investors and specifically risk managers. Um, and that is the way partisan politics And the media are making risk management substantially more important. Now, I don't think that that is a statement that just fits the environment that we're currently in. Anybody that's been in this game knows that politics are always an influence on markets. They're always an influence on investing. Quite honestly, I don't think they get paid enough attention to sort of like monetary policy, which still blows me away, doesn't get paid enough attention to by the average person. But what do I mean by that? I think a perfect way to look at this is oil. OK, and I, I, I got involved in a little discussion last night on financial Twitter with a couple guys that manage money and we we're kind of going back and forth. And one guy, um, erroneously in my opinion, was making the point that we don't need the strategic petroleum reserve. Shale oil is essentially our strategic petroleum reserve. Um, I, I have, and he's a smart guy. Um, in my opinion, this guy is like a tourist in the macroeconomic world. He, he, he's like a computer programmer that. Seems to have taken a liking to macroeconomics. I think there's several things that he's forgetting when he makes that statement. Um, First and foremost, the vast majority of the oil that we would collect from shale, um, we don't have refining capability here in the United States. Right. So what is a strategic petroleum reserve supposed to do? It's supposed to provide you the energy you need without having to import or export anything. Right. If for some reason, imports and exports failed that would supply you. So that really doesn't work. Yes, we've got plenty of oil here. But as of right now, it would take, you know, a significant period of time, one and a half, two years, maybe a lot more than that. But I'm saying even best case scenario to develop the refining capability to allow us to live off that. So that that totally scraps it. Um, Second of all, I think that that argument is over simplistic, and I think it misses the point at least from my perspective, and you guys know me, I've been pounding on the table for energy pretty much since we came out of the uh, COVID mess and certainly in the last year and a half, but it has never been an argument that we are running out of oil. We're not, we've got plenty of oil. The, the issue that we have to me is twofold. First of all, the oil that we have is not, You know, Beverly Hillbilly oil, right? What I mean by that is it is not the kind of oil that is so close to the surface you're going to start getting black, gold, and Texas tea spewing up from a stray bullet, right? As you're out there hunting deer or whatever, your 30-30 round goes into the ground and it pops it and all of a sudden oil starts coming up, right? Those are gushers. That stuff has been tapped here in the United States. Shale doesn't work like that. It's much, you know, a lot of those old classic wells, I mean, it was like a milkshake. You just stick a straw back in there, you just keep pumping it up, pump it out till it's gone. Shale is so much more complicated. You got to refrack it. You got to do things. If you leave it too long, then you got to frack it again. It's just a lot more complicated, which means a lot higher cost. That cost structure, thanks to inflation, has gone even higher post-COVID. But here's the other thing nobody's paying attention to. It may be sitting there. Okay, but who's going to get it out? Meaning the oil, the shale field has been wrecked twice in the last eight years. One of the issues you have is you have absolutely no investor appetite, right? Nobody wants to put money, you know, like I said, if you if you want to try this, go out and get on social media and start talking about, hey, you got to you got a shale operation, And you want to start a big drilling program who wants to invest. You're going to get virtually no takers. Okay. So these people that are making, we got plenty of oil. You're missing the point. How much oil we have doesn't matter. There's no will to extract it. Here's the other thing. And it's one of the reasons that oil and energy stocks are so cheap. It's the negative posture that government here in the United States. And I guys, we can get into the Eurozone. I just think it's completely different. Um, So let's just stick to to American politics. I I think that the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Has our government been supportive at all of energy and the development of energy here, especially in the last five to ten? No, not at all. Have they been as hostile toward it as some people on the right play out? No. The truth lies somewhere in the middle. Um, The current administration hasn't really taken any real meaningful steps To hurt oil, they've, they've taken away some permits, they've done things that make it structurally more expensive, but they're also backing off that a little bit. So overall, I'd say they've been negative, you know, in terms of their actions have probably made oil a little more expensive. But what is undeniable is, and if you think about it, stocks and investments are supposed to price in all known information. I honestly believe one of the reasons that valuations are still so cheap with oil companies and energy producing companies is because of the negative government posture. Listen to them talk, right? The uncertainty, are they going to pass a are they going to pass a windfall tax or windfall profits tax on these guys? Are they going to make these guys illegal at some point, right? Are they gonna shut them down like they've talked about? These are words that these politicians have actually said. And then the mainstream media kicks in. Right? Because what is everybody looking for? Everybody's looking for silver bullets. Right? We we gotta end pollution, climate change, energy is the enemy, shut it down. And that's what I re- refer to, and you guys listen to the show for refer to a while or, or refer to regularly. I, I refer to that as three, third grade. Uh, domestic policy, right? Third grade diplomacy. And what I mean when I say that is these are attitudes that if you presented a classroom of third graders with these problems, these are the types of answers you'd get, right? And so it's undeniable that these, this type of attitude, this type of posturing from the government has kept valuations of oil stocks down. Now take one more step with me, right? It's also, and this goes hand in hand, uh, it's also one of the biggest uncertainties. If you get into investors, like, you know, I think everybody knows the fundamentals of, of oil and energy right now are phenomenal. And if you could get down to it, what is one of the reasons that people aren't flocking into it? Again, I think there's a lot of different reasons, but the government's negative posture toward that sector has got a lot to do with it. Right and, and and the the reason I think it is so impactful right now, and the reason why I think it's so t- troublesome right now is that I don't remember a time where government and society were as off base as it relates to reality, right? Think about what we're seeing happening with COVID. Right. And, and the whole COVID thing is another perfect example. Um, one of the things I have learned, and I want to get off on a COVID tangent. One of the things I have learned is that situations and, and, and you know, my study of military history backs this up. When you first assess a scenario, it is very rare that your first assessment is correct. As in fact, in the military It's almost like a universal rule that we will not respond to the first report. You know, there's there's circumstances in which you do and all that kind of stuff. But we will not respond to the very first initial report. And the reason for for that is simple. It's right. It's a cloud of war. It's the fog of war. And and that that obscures. Reality, right? It, it it makes navigating the the, the situation. We're human beings, right? Things come out of nowhere and blindside us. It takes a while for us to find our footing and to adjust. And when you look at the world today, going back to the COVID conversation, one of the things that I always think is that I remember when we were doing a lot of work on on COVID in particular in in December of. 2019 and January of 2020, before it really became a big problem. Um, Our initial assessment of COVID ended up being very, very, very spot on. And I wasn't sure that it would be. Uh, We said from the very beginning, look, this is not a killer. This isn't the black plague, but it is highly contagious. And the biggest threat it poses to overrunning the U.S. medical system. And for that matter, any any medical system—that's that's the fear. If we can get over that, right? If we can move through that, then it's then it should be no big deal. It's going to be like a serious flame of, uh, strain of the flu. Uh, that has ended up being exactly what it is. The other thing we said about vaccines was: look, I don't know if these are big conspiracy theories or all that other kind of stuff. All I know is all this talk about this thing going through FDA trials. It didn't. Why? Because FDA trials typically take five to seven years. That five to seven years is integral in testing it. You just don't know. I, the, I, these should not be controversial statements. And for those of you listening to the show, you know I've never been hyperbolic about this. I never said it was, you got to take the vaccine. I've never said that I think it's going to kill you just to keep it away. I just said that the, the, the choosing this as the silver bullet as the golden arrow that's going to fix all this, there there was such a leap in that whole idea. And now recently, and this is still developing and I don't want to speak out of school here. We'll see if more reports come out. But recently there was a group of doctors that finally got access to some of the Pfizer testing. And some of these, a lot of the data from the initial trials suggests that even Pfizer thought there was as good or bigger chance for you to be hospitalized with complications from the, Uh, vaccine as you were likely to be hospitalized from the from the illness itself now we'll see that that's just come out i haven't done a lot of research on that yet and that'll develop over time but we are in this age now of just drastic knee-jerk reactions all over the place And like I said, I I know that COVID, we don't invest in COVID and things like that, but I think it's a perfect indication of how we will just jump off of a plateau and run five miles down a road without ever looking at other options. And then we just as a society sit there and decide, oh, this is the way it is. You got to do this. If you're not vaccinated, you're a bad person and da, 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 da. Well, and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. A lot more nuance here, killer. Very rarely are things that binary and that simple. And I think that that's a confluence of things, right? It's a 24-hour news cycle. It's social media. But we as investors need to, to steal ourselves against that, meaning that I think that there is more – political noise i think that there is more uh political influence and you know more cultural insanity that is going to try to y- pull us one way or the other and make things more opaque and make things more comp- complicated but here's the other thing here's the opportunity what 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 is another way to describe this political impact and media impact I, one of the things you could say is it is the disguising or it is the obfuscation of reality. And what does that mean? It means that these inaccuracies in time will serve only as things that coil the spring because reality will win out. It always has. Reminds me of like Jurassic Park. I've used this before. Remember the doctor, Jeff Goldblum played him. Uh, uh You know, life always wins. Nature wins out, right? The same is true in fundamentals and investing eventually. Now, eventually can be a lot longer than most people think. But I think that this is what clouds the picture. And I think that will be the story going forward with investing, which is to get good returns over time, you're going to have to endure periods where it doesn't look good, where it appears as though you're on the wrong path. And what is the yard marker? How do we know in a world full of so much nonsense and a world, you know, still being in an Alice in Wonderland world, which, you know, an Alice in Wonderland marketplace where I can believe as many as six impossible things before breakfast. How do we do that? Guys, A, we manage risk. Okay, And that is complicated, but bottom line is we're always looking out at the horizon, checking the weather and making sure we've got the right apparel on, making sure we have the right risk exposure on, right? To make sure that we're positioned in such a way to benefit from the things that we think are going to happen, but not in a way that exposes us to catastrophic loss that could compromise our our retirement, right? The other thing is also understanding that owning the things that are going to do the best – And this has always been the case, right? Doing the hard is almost always what's good in life. But in investing, I think it's going to be increasingly tough. Because owning the things that are going to do us well, that are going to actually improve our station, improve our situation into retirement. It's going to take stealing ourselves. I think that ride is going to be even more rocky than it otherwise would. And a lot of it is from this fog Created by politics and by media and eventually reality will work out, but you know, you, you got to be prepared to wait and it's why you've got to be able to manage risk. And, you know, you sit back and look at this political situation, guys, I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. Ironically, it's it's kind of gotten to a point culturally, uh, politically speaking, in this country. It, it's so divided, and everybody is running around. <laughs> there, there is no set of data that any of us agree on anymore. Everything's either gospel or fake news, right? I mean, nobody. You, you can't even get. I mean, you get people from other opposite ends, opposite ends of the political spectrum. You can't even get them to agree on which way the wind is blowing if they're both standing next to each other, right? And in these environments, again, it's not us beat. but why do we do things the way we do? Why are we first risk managers and then on top of that fundamental disciplined investors? Because it's the only thing that gets you through these times. Because you're going to get so many fake outs. You're going to get so many distractions. You're going to get, oh, well, this isn't performing well. We got to jump over here. no, no. You're, 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 you're chasing squirrels again. Stay on track, right? We're hunting for deer. Don't go chasing squirrels. It's a good way to starve to death, right? Stay on track. Sometimes that squirrel can look fun. Just ask my dog. <laughs> she loves, it's, she lives for squirrels. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to get off it. But anyway, I just think that navigating that political channel is going to be the toughest part. Right. Especially right now, if you're like me and believe there's such an opportunity on the on the energy side, because what is almost every political body in the world doing? They're acting in a way and they want. For, quote unquote, fossil fuels to no longer be a thing. I mean, clean plain and simple. Now, ironically, what they're doing, which is should be funny because this is often the case with politicians, Right. Their efforts to save the world are just backlogging the problem and making it worse. Right. Because what you need is investment. Right. And you can get these guys out here who decided to be tourists in macroeconomic role. Well, we've got plenty of shale. Yes. Do you have any capital to get after it? No, nobody wants to put any money into it. If, if you're the CEO of an oil company and you want to see your stock lose 50 percent and you want to get ousted by a shareholder vote, tell them that you're launching a big new drilling program right now a show. Okay, the, 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 people do not understand the pushback. What does all this point to? It points to cheap oil and getting over this oil shortage and this energy shortage is not going to be a quick fix. It's not over. This wasn't just caused by Putin. This is going to be years dealing with this if we take the right steps. Now, what if we were to start taking the right steps, I also think it's a problem that we could probably get over quicker than most people think, especially here in the United States. You know, Buffett says don't bet against the United States, and I agree with him. I've been proven wrong too many times. Meaning when the United States free market decides to set its eyes on something and it's something it wants to go after, and government becomes a wind at their back as opposed to something that is a barrier. It always shocks me how fast we can do things and how well we can do things. Right. Um, and if we can just sit back objectively again, COVID is another example. Regardless of what you think of the vaccine in terms of the new technology that it is and the speed at which they were developing, it it was incredible. Now, is it anywhere near as efficacious as they wanted it to be? No. And the data points that out. That's not a political statement. Right, don't sit there and think I'm, you know, turning into an Alex Jones or something like this, guys. This is all about fact, okay. And if you think the vaccine is the greatest savior to man, I'm, I'm sorry, you're just not, you're, you're not, you're not living in the real world. Did I say it's horrible and it's a conspiracy theory to kill people? No. But bottom line, when you look at the results that are coming out and the data that comes out, you know, they've already said, they've already admitted that the vaccine does not make you, does not help contagion, right? So somebody that doesn't, let's say you have the vaccine versus somebody that doesn't, you both get COVID, you're both equally as likely to spread the disease to somebody else. And remember, that was the whole impetus we were told behind vaccinating your kids. If you vaccinated your kids, am I calling you a bad person? No, I'm just saying, look, the facts are what they are. You may not like them, you know, but they are what they are. And, and there's going to be opportunities that this opens up. But the other thing, like I've told our clients to steal yourself, guys, there's going to be big periods of outperformance. The first two, three months of the year was one of them. The last month was a period of underperformance for us. Now, again, we're, we're having a nice couple days as last two days. We're hovering right around flat on the year. In our value portfolio, momentum portfolio is down a little bit together. I think it's about two and a half percent, two percent right around down on the year three, right in that ballpark. I haven't looked at the totals today, but um, um, but it's worked just like we thought it would, meaning periods of sharp outperformance. And then you see these counter cyclical rallies and the tech stuff and energy sells off. And we're just going to have to steal ourselves. And that's where it comes down to risk management. And how much do we know? It's all about the risk exposure we have. Right. And I'll just tell you, I don't the, – the portfolios you're running around in right now have zero risk management. They're negative risk management. Look at the returns of stocks and bonds this year. Okay, so this is a perfect opportunity if you're listening to this. Right? Is there a better way to invest your money? Absolutely. Okay, is there a way that you can invest your money where you pay less in fees, you take substantially less risk, you sleep better at night, but you still get as much or more to the upside in the event that things turn out better than we think? Yes, we're doing it right now. Our overall client portfolios are outperforming the market since the beginning of last year by i again don't quote me but like ten percent eleven percent something like that overall. Well, when you compare our stock, when you compare our portfolio performance over the last two years to the typical stock bond portfolio, I think it's greater than 15, just killing them again, taking less risk, paying less in fees. There is a better way. And all of these factors, this political smoke and fog that's clouding, clouding the system. It ain't going away. The cultural fog that is clouding the investment picture. It ain't going away. This is going to be the way, guys, this upward to the right market that so many of your advisors have been telling you about and, you know, telling you this is the way to do it. you got to stick with it the last 15 years. The last 15 years, the the, the board has changed. (coughs) And so what you should do right now, and I'm just a guy on the radio. It's fine. What you should do right now, do a little homework this weekend. Go look at the performance of the stock market and bonds. You just pull up the Dow Jones, the S&P 500, Barclays aggregate bond. You don't have to get all technical about it. Just go look at the performance of that through 1969 to 1981. And then factor in 9% inflation over that period of time. And ask yourself, do you think it's possible that a similar situation plays out right now. And then look at your current portfolio and say, what would that do to me? What would it do to me if we averaged higher than 6% inflation over the next 10 years? And my stock portfolio was flat over that period of time. It'd be devastating. It would be devastating. What do you risk going in a risk managed model like ours? Well, if we're wrong, and everything's fine, and everything is awesome, then maybe you make a little less to the upside. But that also means inflation dies down, everything's fine. This is what I'm talking about risk management. When you have two choices, one of which leaves you fine regardless of the outcome, one of which doesn't, right? So this portfolio portfolio B, if things go perfectly, you'll be okay judge that against portfolio A if things go perfectly you'll be better than portfolio B but in portfolio A if things go poorly you'll be okay portfolio B if things go poorly you're ruined why is that even a decision it shouldn't be call us 866779 risk guys you it, it, you can have your cake and eat it too we can give you more juice to the upside with less risk where you're less exposed to these historic risks Call us. Call somebody. Don't wait until you're wondering, should you sell your home to finance the next five years of your retirement? You don't need to. And if we're wrong, we're going to give you a portfolio with more upside so you win either way. Call us. 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Thank you so much for joining us. We got to go. Have a phenomenal weekend. We'll be back next week. Mind your risk, people. Manage that risk. We'll see you next week. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com.
0: is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.
2: Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bullwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right
1: now? Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation, and it's here. All the money printing from the Fed and long period of zero interest rates, the bills come and do, and inflation's going up. And when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been saying it for years. If you're using bonds in the old school 60-40 mix with stocks as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free book Booklet, common sense investing learn how to protect your portfolio against loss but still seek to grow your assets call zach
2: now for your free copy of common sense investing 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement Bowler capital management is an investment advisor representative of trek financial llc and sec registered investment advisor.